My name is Jack Kelly. I'm the author of a new book about the Revolutionary War called Valcour, the 1776 Campaign that Saved the Cause of Liberty. And it has to do with the somewhat unknown but uh, really crucial battle on Lake Champlain in northern New York in which uh, Benedict Arnold stood up to the Royal Navy and really thwarted a British invasion that year that could have spelled the end of the revolution if it had succeeded. So I'm looking forward to the book, and it's a topic that people will be interested in because it's not been covered very thoroughly in most histories of the revolution. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Jack Kelly. Jack Kelly is a journalist, a novelist, and historian who lives in New York's Hudson Valley. He was just telling me he lives in Red Hook, New York. Jack Kelly joined us in 2015 with a story about amateur soldiers in the American Revolution Band of Giants. He was on the podcast in 2016 to discuss his book, Heaven's Ditch, about the Erie Canal. And in 2019, he told us about his book, Edge of Anarchy, about the railroad barons and the 1894 Pullman strike. Jack Kelly's latest book, as he told us, is Valcour, the 1776 campaign that saved the cause of liberty. It's published by St. Martin's Press. It seems to me, as, as I know your publishing history, you started out writing about the revolution, but you went to the Erie Canal and to the Gilded Age, but you're returning to the Revolutionary War. Uh, what prompted you to do that? Well, it's really just been an abiding interest in, of mine to look into aspects of the war and try to, uh, I've always tried to to make the war as real as possible to, to, to readers, you know, to get across that this was not just dry history, but this was, you know, real violence, real uh, hardship for the soldiers. Take it as much as possible from the perspective of the actual fighting men. You know, it's something I've tried to do over the years, and I'm just coming back to it now. And I've been very happy with the, doing the research and uh, putting the story together. Well, and I see that you've succeeded. I mean, I've been reading, for whatever reason, I read a fair number of your, the reviews that readers have put on Amazon and elsewhere of your book, and the common comment is that, boy, I feel like I'm right there with the musket balls going right by me and so forth. How do you do that? I mean, where is it written or is it written anywhere about uh, what it was like to, uh, let's say, be a, a soldier in, under Benedict Arnold in, in this little gunboat in Lake Champlain? There are you know, some diaries, some letters. I've uh, gone into the archives and tried to rake up every account that I can. Uh, the fact there was a uh, 14-year-old boy who was the nephew of one of the uh, boat captains who he brought along just uh, for, you know, just find out what war was all about. And he kept a, a diary, which was interesting to see it through, almost through the eyes of a child, what was going on around him. So that's the type of thing I really try to search out because, uh, I think just the accumulation of facts, uh, you know, tends to be a dry uh, form of history that people don't really respond to. But if you can think of it in human terms, uh, it becomes much more rich and much more uh, relevant, I think, even. Hmm. Well, let me try to um, put this into a bigger uh, perspective or the perspective of the uh, Revolutionary War itself. 
and again, I may be may be wrong because I'm sort of skating on my own here. Before Valcour, the um, American forces, or let's call them that, or the revolutionaries or the patriots, had tried to capture Quebec City, controlled by the British. The uh, General Richard Montgomery came up the Champlain route, came up through that area, and did capture Montreal in November of 1775. And good old Benedict Arnold led his troops through the main wilderness to Quebec City and laid siege in November, didn't have enough uh, firepower to capture Quebec City, and he waited for Montgomery. But by the time Montgomery got there at the end of December, the, the Brits were ready, and in their initial vo volley, they killed Montgomery. Uh, I guess Arnold was wounded in the battle, and they were attacking different parts of uh, Quebec City. Uh, and then the Americans had to leave the leave the field. Two points. I mean, I just assume you know I have some knowledge of that. That's really remarkable. Marching uh, his troops through the main wilderness for Benedict Arnold is pretty gutsy thing to do. Yeah, he was uh, got the reputation of America's Hannibal uh, after the general that uh, came over the Alps with the elephants uh, back in the time of the Romans, and it was a, a really an extraordinary feat. Uh, it was much more rugged than they expected and they had to came near starvation about a third of the men turned back against orders and just couldn't take it anymore and he did manage to get over and came close to actually taking the city of uh, the fortified city of quebec mm -hmm. but unfortunately they got bogged down after the attempt uh, after montgomery was killed and uh, congress sent more reinforcements up there but when the British sent 10,000 men over in the spring. As soon as the Redcoats appeared on the field, the Americans panicked, and they retreated all the way back down the St. Lawrence, down Lake Champlain, back to where they'd come from, which was uh, Fort Ticonderoga and uh, Crown Point, which is a, a forward post near Ticonderoga. And the army that was facing them, this was really the beginning of the story that I tell, uh, was to had been totally defeated, was uh, lacking in morale, lacking in order. They'd thrown away their guns. They had they were short on supplies. And they were suffering a, an epidemic of smallpox. So it was a desperate situation, and they, they knew the British were going to invade and come down the Richelieu River in Canada and then down Lake Champlain. And they had to mount a, a defense at Ticonderoga and on Lake Champlain to somehow try to stop them, and that's pretty much the story that I tell. So this is uh, five months after the, I guess, the, well, anyway, it's, it's in October, the Battle of, of Valcor. Uh, tell us about Valcor, and uh, I tried to remember how you said it, Valcour, that's how it's pronounced, Valcour? Uh, Valcour, yeah, I guess that's... Uh... A small island off of that's just south of what's now Plattsburgh. There wasn't a, a city there at the time, but it was pretty much up. It was pretty much wilderness, the northern Lake Champlain area. The campaign actually had started in July, and that's both sides started building their fleets, and that, it was like an, an arms race was the first 
aspect of it. And then in August, uh, Benedict Arnold took a small fleet. He had only had about 10 boats, relatively small gunboats, took them up to the northern end of Lake Champlain, and then he waited for the British in a little bay behind Valcour Island. It wasn't until October 11th that the British decided to sail south and mount this invasion. They'd spent all summer building very large war vessels and uh, even a, a frigate, which was an ocean-going vessel that they built on Lake Champlain. And mm-hmm. they came down with this m- massive firepower. Arnold's officers had to decide. They had a council of war, and they had to decide, should they stay and fight or should they try to retreat down the lake uh, and save themselves? And Arnold convinced them that he had a plan, and he um, and they stayed there. And the first battle took place right there at Valcour Island, and it's about a mile off of the New York coast. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, the British had to build their ships too. I mean, they couldn't use the ships they'd used to cross the ocean. Yes, that's uh, and the reason for that yeah. being that the Richelieu River, which actually flows north out of Lake Champlain into the uh, St. Lawrence River has rapids in it, so there's there's no way to to sail up the river, uh, and they had to go to a place, a town called St. John's, that was uh, farther south on that river, and then from there you can sail directly into uh, Lake Champlain, so they set up a shipyard there and uh, built ships from scratch and also dismantled uh, ships and dragged them up over the rapids and then uh, reassembled them up there. But it was because the Amer- they knew the Americans were building the fleet uh, that they had felt they had to do that. They had the army ready to go at any time that summer, but they um, they knew that they would have to have the, enough ships to protect them as they as they rode down the lake and uh, and uh, were getting ready to attack uh, oh. attack on Daroga. Okay, I, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. So it, it wasn't they needed these, the British didn't need the ships to carry the soldiers, although maybe they carried some soldiers, but um, they wanted to uh, just protect the, the soldiers as they marched on the land. Yeah, they, they had what they called just transports, which were large rowboats, and uh, those were very easy to hammer together. That, uh, but they what they needed was actual ships with... Uh, um, with that could hold the heavy guns that they needed to, to make sure that the the troops would have been very vulnerable in these rowboats, so they wanted to be able to protect them. Now, did Benedict Arnold was he the guy that knew how to build gunboats or build boats or who knew how to build boats? Uh, well, uh, um, the, there was three men that were really in charge of the operation. Uh, the overall commander was Philip Schuyler, who's very well known in Albany. Uh, he's not a well-known general in the war because he didn't last that long. Uh, he he uh, was sort of a sickly man, and he commanded mostly from his mansion in Albany. And he uh, was familiar with boat building because he had schooners and commercial boats. He was a businessman. He did a lot of trading, so he knew about boats. Uh, Benedict Arnold, the same thing. He had been a businessman before the war, a trader down to the West Indies, and he actually was a captain of his own boats, and he would sail down and sail around trade down in the West Indies. So he mm-hmm. was very familiar with uh, uh, with boat building and uh, you know a, a little bit of naval you know the naval strategy. And the third man was um, Horatio Gates. He was the commander at Ticonderoga. He and he admitted he knew nothing about ships or naval matters, but he was um, 
had his own task, which was to refortify Fort Ticonderoga and to restore that army, that beaten army, build up their morale and their discipline and uh, get ready for the British so that they would have some kind of formidable defense ready once the British did sail down the lake. Not to go too far afield, but uh, you're probably aware that uh, General Schuyler, well, with two things. I mean, General Schuyler's the uh, father-in-law of Alexander Hamilton, one of his daughters, Marion Hamilton. But of late, he's become more controversial in Albany. The mayor wants to move his statue away from uh, City Hall because he was, as a very wealthy man, uh, uh, he owned a number of slaves. Philip Schuyler had a bad summer, uh, Bob. He uh, First, uh, his daughters became much more famous than he is now because of the musical Hamilton. They were the Schuyler sisters who, uh, uh, and the, the um, marriage with uh, Alexander and Hamilton took place right in the Schuyler mansion in Albany, which is now a, a museum. And uh, there, uh, the, the visitors to the museum after the, the uh, musical was a, such a big hit, like tripled uh, from what they usually were. People wanted to see where the couple got married. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the statue, which I didn't, honestly, I didn't really even know about, was in front of City Hall in Albany. And um, they uh, have ordered it to be taken down. It hasn't been taken down yet, I don't believe. But, um, you know, I think um, that's, the, those statues are, you know, people say, well, you're, you're uh, censoring history. I just think the statues are irrelevant to history. They're, you know, yeah. it's a way of honoring somebody. Um, it, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers other people. So, you know, take it down. It's not going to hurt yeah. anything, or, or well, put it in a museum. I think that was the is the plan, or that's Mayor Kathy Sheehan's idea is that this should be put somewhere else. But it's actually, like it's actually museum. been held up because they found out how expensive it's. A, it's about a twelve yeah. foot uh, statue on a. On a, on a big pedestal, so it's going to be expensive to move it, so they, they're they a little uh, sure. taken aback by how much it was going to cost. Well, maybe I, I feel bad about bringing it up, because it does take you in a whole other direction, but let's get back yeah. to the fight at, at Valcour. So they've, they, the Americans, have built these 10 gunboats. And what do you mean by a gunboat? I mean, is it like a, what, what is it like? Uh, really uh, oversized uh, rowboats. Uh, they were based on a commercial uh, uh, type of boat that used for cargo t- uh, in lakes and rivers. Uh, they were about 53 feet long, and they had three good-sized cannon, one on the front and at the bow, and one on each side. They did have a, um, a sail, but uh, because they were flat on the bottom, uh, they usually had to be rowed. Um, the, the wind would have had been directly from behind in order to sail them. So they were um, good for fighting on a lake because they were maneuverable. If you had, if you could row uh, a boat, you could you could uh, go against the wind, or you could get in, in and out of inlets and coves a lot easier than if you were in a, a strictly a sailing ship. So that was their really main armament. They built uh, another a slightly larger boat that was called a galley, also could be rowed, but was um, had had um, uh, a couple of sails and, was, and had a keel and, and could be sailed quite handily, also very maneuverable on a lake. 
Uh, and this was, you know, something to keep in mind because particularly in the northern end of Lake um, Champlain, it's very complex. There's many, many islands and inlets. And uh, the British, uh, though they were masters of naval warfare, uh, were used to fighting on the open ocean and to fight on a lake where uh, it's never more than about 10 miles wide um, was a new experience for them, and they weren't quite uh, as adept, maybe, mm -hmm. as they would have been in the ocean. Again, so we're in October of 1776 when the fight begins, and, and what happens? Arnold's strategy uh, that he explained to his officers was that he knew that the British would probably wait until there was a north wind before they came down sailing south, which they did. It was quite a brisk wind that day. And he said, well, we'll let them go by, and then we'll bring some of our ships out and fire at them from behind, and then we'll go back into this this bay between Valcour Island and, and the New York shore, and we'll wait for them to come back and attack us. And, and so we'll have the advantage of a, a, a position that's hard for them to to approach because the wind is in their face now. And particularly for square rig ships, um, uh, it's hard for them to sail close to the wind, as they call it, into the wind. And so mainly the the British had 22 gunboats compared to the Americans' eight. Uh, and it was mostly their gunboats that participated in the battle. Their, their bigger ships, which would have been easily uh, have mastered the American fleet, um, were had were, it was very difficult for them to get into the uh, into this bay uh, because it was quite narrow. Mm -hmm. They weren't familiar with it, and they were going against the wind. So then there was the an all day battle of just a cannon duel, foot shoot, firing back and forth. Um, uh, a lot of people were killed. A lot of the, 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 both the British and some of the British ships and some of the American boats were um, damaged, and a couple of them were sunk. Um, and then it got dark, and the battle was over, and the Americans were stuck there in, in that bay. Uh, and then, uh, I don't want to give away too many uh, of the surprises in the book, but they did find a way to uh, to get out of there, and then to sail down the lake to the south, trying to get back to Fort Ticonderoga. And another battle uh, broke out two days later, um, closer to, to the southern end of the lake, and um, the American uh, fleet was largely defeated. Uh, uh, they captured one of their larger ships, and they a few of them got away. Arnold uh, took a stand against the British, uh, had another cannon duel back and forth, finally ordered all of his ships into a cove uh, on the Vermont side of the, the lake, and they ran aground, and uh, he had them burn the ships so the British uh, couldn't make use of them, and then marched his men down back down to Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, interesting little uh, sideline there is that 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 bay is really a very small cove uh, where he grounded his ships is now referred to as Arnold's Bay. Ah. And it's the only place in the United States that, name, that is named in honor of Benedict Arnold uh, because of his later treachery and treason. Sure. Now, and is this regarded as the first uh, naval battle that 
you know, America took part in? Uh, well, it was it, it's a it's a kind of ambiguous because it was so early in the war that there was really no national navy at the time. Uh, the whole operation was mounted by the Continental Army, but it was on water. So uh, it's referred to as America's first navy. And uh, another interesting thing, and something that people that, that I recommend people uh, have a look at is. Uh, one of the gunboats, one of the American gunboats called the Philadelphia, uh, was sunk right there in, in Valcour Bay. Uh, it sat on the bottom for 159 years, and in the 1930s, uh, divers found it and brought it up, and uh, it was uh, found its way into the Smithsonian Institute in Washington. So it's on display there. It's, it's, it is the oldest existing American warship. It's not even a ship, you know. It's, a, it's as I say, it's more of an oversized rowboat. But you can see the the guns that fired at the British. It's not a replica or a model. It's the actual thing. When they when they pulled it up, the bow cannon was still loaded. So it's really a sort of a poignant relic of the Revolutionary War. Another digression here. Again, I said to you before that I used to work in radio, and for years I've worked with a legendary news reporter, Dick Beach, and the, the legendary morning host on WGY Radio, Don Weeks. And they used to go back and forth about where the U.S. Navy was formed. And I think Don Weeks was of the opinion it should be considered Lake Champlain. But Beach said something about Marblehead, and I really don't know what happened in Marblehead. On it, the, it was, it was kind of a complex situation because the, there were state navies, actually, then, or, or that had been organized first by the colonies and then, by the, and then they became states in 1776. Uh, Pennsylvania had a navy uh, on the Chesapeake, and uh, I think some of the New England states had navies that were that were uh, guarding the coast. And exactly when a continental navy was formed, I'm not quite sure. Eventually they did build some frigates and uh, had them on the ocean. There was also a lot of privateers who were just private, um, had mounted uh, cannon on on commercial ships and went out and tried to loot the British uh, commercial trade. So that uh, it was a a complicated situation on the water. But uh, it's interesting that one of the really crucial battles uh, took place on a on a lake uh, in northern New York. After this battle, Valcour Island, you say it changed the mind of the British generals or whatever about about what? They were able to take Crown Point, which was the forward uh, position of the Americans, quite easily because they had the fleet could sail right up on top of it. And then they waited. General Carleton, who was the British general, had been the governor of Canada, I think uh, he was, first of all, he was shocked by this opposition, almost fanatical opposition, you know, standing up to the Royal Navy. Uh, It was just, and really fought them to a draw almost. The main thing was that by this time, it was now getting towards November, and he knew how cold it got up there in the winter. And he didn't want to start a battle, uh, try to take uh, Ticonderoga and get stuck there and have the lake freeze behind him because then he would have would have had no source of supplies. So he um, thought uh, discretion was a better 
part of valor and uh, decided to just take his army and take the fleet and go back to Canada uh, with the idea that they could, uh, having pretty much uh, defeated the American fleet, they would have easy uh, access to Ticonderoga the next year. Turned out that he was uh, had been replaced by then, and another saga began with uh, General Burgoyne and ended at, uh, at the Battle of Saratoga. So, I mean, they, they did amount uh, this invasion or incursion uh, in 1777. Yes, that had always been in the early years of the war that the the main target of the British was that corridor that ran from the uh, St. Lawrence River down Lake Champlain. There was a short portage uh, from Lake George to uh, Fort Edward and then down the Hudson River to New York. And they attacked both ends of that uh, Quarter, and they're very successful in New York. One of the reasons that the Battle of Valcour Island is so important is that Washington was had been utterly defeated uh, at the other end of that corridor, and, and uh, he'd been driven out of New York and driven all the way across New Jersey and was in Pennsylvania, and he thought the war is pretty much over. He, he, he was despairing. After the Battle of Valcour Island neutralized the invasion of the British from the north, Horatio Gates and Benedict Arnold marched 600 men down to join Washington's army in Pennsylvania. And so some of the men who fought at Valcour Island actually crossed the Delaware with Washington and fought at uh, Trenton and defeated the the Hessians at Trenton. And, of course, that was the big um, victory that really restored American morale and allowed the Continental Army to survive. Hence your title, Valcour, the 1776 campaign, that saved the cause of liberty. We're talking with Jack Kelly, who's author of that book. Another digression, I suppose. We speak glibly about Benedict Arnold, the traitor, but what did he do? He was going to give the British what? <laughs> and uh, he got caught. He was probably the, the most successful American general in the early part of the war. After succeeding at Valkyrie Island, uh, he came back and he also was a very big factor in the victory at, at Saratoga, in the Battle of Saratoga, which everybody refers to as the turning point of the war. He never got credit. He didn't get credit for Valcour. He didn't, didn't get the promotions he thought he needed. And he began to sour on the idea of the revolution. Uh, he didn't. He was. He was a very prickly character. Very uh, personally, uh, he he got along with his with his men very well, but he didn't get along with his colleagues. And for whatever reason, and historians have debated this for 200 years of what the reason was, he decided to go over to the British. And he'd been severely wounded at Saratoga, so he was not able to lead troops in battle. He said, at least. And he, he got a post at West Point, which was uh, an important American position on the Hudson River, but not, not involved in the fighting. And he uh, plotted to give that over to the British, which would have probably would have uh, ended the war in favor of the British. He went to England, didn't he spend the rest of his days in England? Yeah, he, uh, well, first he uh, actually led British troops in battle down in Virginia. That was, you know, why he's so hated, you know, one of the reasons is that he actually led British troops against men who he had led for the Americans. Uh-huh. So he turned against them, these guys who had been devoted to him. He went to New London, which was near his hometown, and burned the city of New London 
for the British. And then he escaped to Britain. Of course, there was a price on his head. He was not, nobody likes a traitor, you know, so he he wasn't welcomed in Britain. He was never happy after that. He, he tried, he moved to Canada for a while. He tried to get back into business and uh, just died a, an embittered man, I think you'd have to say. Mm. Is there any, you know, at Valcour Island today, is, is there a monument or anything like that? Or is there a historic presence uh, to show what happened there? Uh, there's actually very little. Uh, the um, the island is which was unoccupied at the time is uh, is again unoccupied. I, th- I believe it's owned by the state. And the Daughters of the American Revolution put up a, a stone monument uh, along the side of the road, just opposite the, where the battle took place. And that's pretty much it. Everything having to do with Arnold Benedict Arnold really turned turned bad after he became a traitor. There's, there, there are no statues of him. There's very little commemoration. And I think one of the reasons that this campaign is, is not as well remembered as it should be is that because he, because he was the leader of it, uh, right. people, you know, for many, many years, they didn't want to make him out as a hero or uh, somebody who would accomplished a great deal for the Patriots. Jack Kelly's latest book is Valcour, the 1776 campaign that saved the cause of liberty. It's published by St. Martin's Press. Thanks for joining us, Jack. Thank you, Bob. It's uh, always great to talk to you. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.